Oh, good morning. My name is Tom. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm not the lead guy. The lead guy, Scott, had the audacity to want to take a vacation this year. Can you believe that? I literally said to him, I was like, brother, we're getting ready to move into a building, and it's so important to me that your brain does not explode while we're trying to move in, so I, I kind of begged my boss to go out of town, so I really hope that that still works out well for me professionally, but if you'd pray for Scott and Karen, uh, and then if I say anything that's crazy, wacky, or out of line, like I always say, he'll fix it. He's much nicer than me, so uh, I, I do want you to come back, and, he, and, he, and here's what I would do. It's, it's the Lake Point Challenge. I don't, if you're visiting today, I am so glad that you're here, and what I would encourage you to do to really kind of feel like you can get your head around, like if this is the right church for you, is that you'd come for the next three weeks. You come for three weeks in a row. I'd also say that because my lead pastor is 80% deaf, um, you kind of get into like a rhythm where you're like, I can really understand everything clearly. The first time my wife came, because I sent her to Lake Point to, st to spy on you guys before I came on staff here, is that he would talk and he'd make a joke and y'all would just laugh and she'd be like, what happened? Like she just couldn't follow it right away, but you get into a rhythm, and uh, I hope you can see what our heart is about. I'm going to pray in just a second, and we're going to talk about marriage, and some of y'all who have been coming for a little while, you're like, man, I was really starting to like this church, but now he's going to mess with my marriage Cheerios. Yes, we are, um, and then, it, I, but I want to pray for you, but also, I, I don't know what to say about this, but y'all have heard that we have had two more tragedies hit in our nation, and I just feel like as the body of Christ, there is something that we're supposed to be doing, and I have no idea what it is, and I just kind of wanted to open my heart up to you and say, we're praying, and uh, we wanted to spend a little bit of time praying today for those families, but I, I don't know what the action is to take. I think it's complicated, and there's a lot of opinions out there, and I feel like we need less opinions and more compassion and something for us to do. So we're going to pray together, and we're going to pray for a couple things, and one of them is just for the folks who their life was going in one tra trajectory, and then evil and hatred got in the way of the other. And may this church and every church in America be a beacon saying that for those groups who were targeted, you are safe and loved within our walls. So let's pray together, and then we will talk about marriage. God, we love you so much. And Jesus, we believe that you're the hope of the world and that you did that. We believe in your scriptures. When you said that you have not come to condemn the world, but to save it, I ask you that you lead us and tell our hearts more of what to do, that rhetoric would take a back seat to loving action and, and, and tell us what to do for the families and the friends who are confused and are crying out to you right now. Holy Spirit, we ask you that you being close that you tell them how close you are and that you know and that your heart is breaking too. Where there is sin in this world and darkness, may you use your people to bring a light into it because, Jesus, you have changed us. And God, as there are folks who are in our, uh, in our humble gymnasium tonight, or this morning, <laughs> I just love the nighttime. For those folks who are in here, and I just said we're going to talk about marriage, and they have already had that awkward argument this morning, or there have been things said that they don't know if there's ever going to be a way back. God, would you just remind them that you are a God that can bring dead things back to life, 
that you are a healer and restorer. And we hope that you help us frame uh, our hearts and our minds today. So we love you so much, Jesus, and this is all for you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Um, I, this is, uh, I, I've gotten to talk about marriage one other time here at Lake Point, but the general rule in my house is that I have to give my wife a heads up when I'm going to talk about being married from the stage because she fact checks me, okay? Uh, not really. She's very gentle with me on, on those things. <laughs> but I, I know part of you, I, I want to stereotype a little bit here. I'm not going to, this is not going to be man bashing or woman bashing of the differences between men and women. I'm sure there's plenty of comedians who have covered that ad nauseum for you. But ladies, a couple things just to stereotype a bit. Ladies, men, uh, just so we're kind of all on the same page of here, men think of relationships the way that most of you think about your car. You just want it to work. And you really don't want to think about it. None of us want to think about it. We just want the darn thing to work. Is there, just, is there a thing that you need to buy? Fine. But they, they, uh, most women that I know don't like to tune up uh, their hot rod, except for my mother-in-law who drives a, a RT um, Challenger, okay, and likes to taunt people who don't drive a manual. That's my family, okay? But if, if, if to a man, if I say we're going to talk about marriage, what a man hears is, oh no, there's something that needs to be fixed. And the word fixed for men is not a great word because maybe your dad did what my dad did and took my new puppy away and said, we're going to get JoJo fixed. And then it came back with a cone around its neck. So when I hear fixed, I'm like not thrilled about the proposition. Let's just kind of sink in that moment that that just happened in church. Don't worry, Pastor Scott's coming back. Okay, I just wanted to have that just for a second here. And I, I want to talk about marriage, and I want to talk about just, it's all relationships in general, because it's not just married folk who, who have some relational standards, shall we say. And I, I also want to tell you this, that there is a wonderful sermon series from another pastor. It's another different thing. I'm not just trying to push our brand here. Um, called What Happy Couples Know by, uh, by a pastor of Atlanta named Andy Stanley who did this in a six-week form um, that I'm going to try to boil down to you in the next two weeks. And, and, and here's, here's what I want to talk about. When you're married, when it comes to relationships, all of us have a box. And it's a box of stuff. It's your past. Some people might call this baggage but I, I would call it something else. You, you kind of have a, a box of things in your life. And when you get married, just like in that video, you kind of have an idea of where you think that your marriage is going to go or, or end up a little bit. And I, I want to walk through them a little bit. Maybe when you got married or maybe, you have, maybe you're engaged right now and you all need to have some conversations. And the first one that, that I want to talk about is time. You think you know, and really I should have brought my cell phone out here and set it in. This could be your calendar. This is what time we expect you to be home. Well, I just assumed that you'd be home by 5.30, 6 o'clock, 7 o'clock, ever. There might just be some sort of idea. So we take some, an idea like time and we kind of put this in this little box in our marriage. I'm just going to hopefully do this without breaking as many things as possible. And then, you know... Of course, of course. Well, do you want to have kids? Sure, I want to have kids. Sure, how many do you have? I don't know. Until you have a boy eventually, I guess, right? So you just keep on having kids and you, you kind of throw them into the mix. This is just not how to handle babies right now. It's been a while. 
And then eventually, you know, like, who's going to clean the house? There's like this fantasy that your house is going to be the clean house of everyone you know. And that's just, okay, I'm just going to let that say there. But you have that expectation. Who's going to clean up after themselves? Who's the clean one? Who's the dirty one? And blah, blah, blah. And why does that just sit in the sink? Oh, it's soaking. It's magically soaking. Okay, I'm sorry. And you have other ideas of what kind of house are you going to build? Oh, are we going to build custom? Oh, I want historical. Oh, I want new construction. I want a condo. I just want out of my parents' house. So whatever that looks like. I put this together yesterday, and all the instructions were in Chinese, except for one instruction that said reference picture for how to build. I thought that that was very helpful. Anyways, side note, not helpful to the sermon at all. And then we have questions about where's all the money going to go? Okay, so where are we going to spend money on? Like, how much do we get Netflix? Are we getting that new Disney thing that's coming out too? Because I need all of that. You know, like, where, where is all, all of this going to go? And, you know, you got to have Amazon Prime. You're American, okay? So, like, where, but where is it all going to go? And how are we going to manage it? And I'm already messing with some of you right now. This is not the time to, like, start elbowing your spouse. I see you, okay? And then, of course, you know, do you get to keep the car? Or in my case, it was a truck with a Hemi, and it was, but like, it's not great for taking kids around in because they have to climb, though it was funny in the winter. So like, who gets to have what car, and is there a new car, is there a used car, is there a car, or I think we're going to Uber to save the drama. And then of course, we know that this is going to happen, someday you're going to fight, and and then all of us have different opinions about how that should happen, too. Like, how exactly are, are we going to fight? You know, I don't know how you grew up, but so maybe, maybe you've had the conversations like, well, you know what my family did? We just kind of put it all out there. Everybody got to say what they wanted to say. We blew off some steam, and then we walked away. And the others of you, maybe of you with an Irish background, where you just buried that deep down inside of you, and nary shall we address it. And then, you know, we can talk about sex for a minute. You know, man, you're marrying your gorgeous bride, and you're like, you know, what's she going to wear to bed? And you were like, this is not what I... This is not what I expected. This is not my wife's. This is my uh, now deceased grandmother. But (laughs) I just thought it was funny. And it all kind of goes into there. And because really what this is, Everything that we put in there, that was our hopes, our dreams, and our expectations. And we just kind of throw that into the other person in the marriage and, and how all of that got put together. And let me just tell you right now, all of us have a box. None of you are, are sans box. None of you, none of me, no parts of my personality are drama-free. We have all got this. The problem is, is that a lot of us have no idea what we're bringing to our spouse. It can be really, really tricky. You know, how are you going to handle the money? Are you going to have one account, two accounts? I was doing marital counseling one time, and I just asked. It was like, hey, have you guys talked about money? And it, like, blew up right in front of me, and I'm like, oh, there's some baggage here. How is conflict resolution going to go? What, what does sex even mean in your relationship? Um, I should have warned you that it might be PG-13 occasionally, but we'll get away from that. But what does all of this mean in our marriage, and, and where, where does all of this come from? Is it, you know, from books that you've read, media? You know, I, I don't know. Some of you grew up in the Twilight era, so you're just, like, looking for Edward Cullen, and you're like, I just want a sparkly man. Like, I, I don't know where you might be coming from, but 
where I think a lot of it comes from is, is what we've experienced. And, th- and this is such a big deal, what you've experienced, that a lot of us, uh, it, it's complicated, it, you know, it's emotional, I understand. Um, but most of our hopes and dreams and desires of what we bring are a response to something that we grew up in or that we saw or that we grew up around. But e- even in those situations when we're trying to recreate something great, or maybe we're trying to avoid the hot mess that you grew up in. Whether everything you're trying to do is trying to be helpful because it, it just all matters because these are real. What you've got, those hopes, those dreams, those expectations, those desires, those are real. And I think they matter. The problem is, is that if I could rename this, this would not be called the marriage. This is called your expectations. And you and I, this is what we do to my spouse. I'm not the perfect husband, so ladies, don't take too many notes on Tom, okay? I just want him to look like that guy. I mean, (laughs) okay. But this all of a sudden becomes expectations. And what do expectations become? A weight, a measurement that that we're having that person to live up to. And we go up to them and we say, here's my box. You hold it and fulfill it. And that is tough, and I would say impossible. Expectations are simply um, the strong belief that something will happen or be the case in the future. Expectations, if you're taking notes, are the strong belief that something will happen or be the case. And we're usually attempting to recreate or avoid something I mean, what's, what's the conversation like when travel's brought up? I, me, when I go on vacation, I like to vacate life. I, my wife, she's an adventurer. She would like to go to all the places. I would like to sit on all the things. This is, and this always happens and leads to a conversation. And it's like, well, what's going to, you know, I need rest. Well, I need experience to kind of break free. And Well, I need, I need, I need, I need. Well, the fact is, is that she has a giant box too, and I only have so big of a fish tank. <laughs> and what happens when the eyes collide? The I need, I want, my desires, my thoughts, my dreams. Actually, when I and I collide, we do, we do one of a few things here. The, the first one that I think what a lot of us would do is well, we leave. This is not what I thought it would be. Uh, when, and when we leave, what's really funny is we just take all the stuff in our box and we put it back in here and then we find the next person who will try to hold it for us. Because no matter how much I love Jenna, if, if someday I ran away from our relationship or was broken, I still have all of this baggage and I would just be looking for the next person. And let me tell you, that's a terrible e-harmony profile Look at all the stuff you have to deal with. I didn't bring anything out here about daddy issues, but that's definitely in there for me. And I take that. Whether that's, that's not her responsibility, she can't fix everything in this box. I can get us a truck again, though, right, baby? Someday, maybe a Jeep. But we do this because we experience. So one of them is that we leave. We just peace out. And some of you, like, that makes the most sense to you. I don't want to be hurt again. We use terms like that. I never want to be hurt again. I've seen that before. I saw what that did to somebody else. Now I 
am leaving you, and I'm taking all of I with me. The other one is that in a marriage, we, uh, we win would be the next thing that we would go for. And we, we, we leverage what I would call the four C's, okay? And, I, and I'll just give these to you because this is, this is usually how we win. Um, the keys to an unfulfilled relationship, if you'd like to take notes, is we convince, we convict, we control, or we coerce. You carry my box. I am not carrying your, your box. I win. The problem with a winner is that there is a say it with me. Loser. Okay, nobody wanted to say loser. Why? It's such a fun word. No, if there is a winner, clearly there is going to be a loser in the relationship, and somebody is going to be unfulfilled and completely miss out on that wedded bliss. So the next one I want to say is the third, uh, is that we conform. We become somebody that we're not to compensate for somebody who won't accept us as we are. And it works. It works for a while. In fact, I would say that, um, that this is really common. If, if he's happy, if she's happy, then I'm just going to deal with it, you know. I, I'll just, just, I just want peace in my home, so I'll just back off, you know. I'll just, I'll just step back because I just want peace. I'll just deal with it. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, when somebody in a relationship is just giving up, they're becoming somebody that they're not. And at the end of the day, they will lose respect for their partner, and their partner will lose respect for them because they're now married to somebody that they didn't actually marry. They've become this other thing, which leads me to my fourth. And this is what most folks do. And most, most of us think this is the way to go, is we compromise. We compromise. I'll do my part. As long as you do yours, you kind of give and you take and you give and you take and you give and you take and you give and you take. But how do you know if you're giving and taking? You start keeping score. And one thing that 1 Corinthians 13 tells us is that love does not keep a record of wrongs. Love doesn't keep score. So even in the idea of compromise, which sounds beautiful, we're going to be, we'll say things like, we're going to be with this family no matter what because, you know, come on, we, we already decided. We've worked this out, and this is the kind of relationship, whether it's a dating relationship or engaged or, or married relationship, compromise eventually leads to low trust because eventually you have to stop, start, I mean, you have to start looking to see, like, am I receiving as much as I'm getting? Why do I feel so depleted? And, and, and here's what I would warn you. In fact, if... if you can't give yourself over to someone completely that you don't completely trust. Somebody that you don't know if they're just going to continue to take advantage of you. And you want to know, uh, what I would say is that where there is no trust, there is no intimacy. Where there is no trust, there is no intimacy. And compromise kills trust. And compromise can kill intim intimacy. Sure, you can continue having sex, but it won't be the way, it won't be the best. Because I will tell you that there's a difference between an act and two people who are so closely connected and fully entrusting in each other. Intimacy, you know, sex has nothing to do with anything physical. It has everything to do with intimacy. Intimacy tied to trust in a relationship that's characterized by any of the things that I've mentioned. It may be perhaps especially this one, something begins to happen and where it can still be physical, but it's not amazing. It's not intimacy because everybody is kind of a little bit on guard. 
lest they be taken advantage of. And it's ultimately very unfulfilling. You know, it'll work. You can go the distance. You can remain married for the rest of your life. And you can end your life together. But can I just say that there's a better way? And the other thing about this kind of compromise, and this, this is a subtle thing, and at the end of the day, a compromised relationship is fueled by a commitment to the wrong thing. I, you've heard this. I'm committed to my marriage. I'm committed to my marriage. It kind of sounds bad when I say it that way, doesn't it? Because it's actually fueled by a commitment to the relationship. And here's, I, I've been trying to figure out exactly how to say this to you. But here's, here's what I want to say. I don't want my wife committed to our marriage. I want her committed to me. My wife doesn't want me to just be committed to being her husband, whatever that even means. She wants me to be in love with her. I, I would kind of put it this way, you know, I, when I think about how my wife is identified, I really hope that my wife identifies as tomsexual. I want her to be into this guy. I want her to see, like, all that pudding and me with no spoon. Like, I want her to be in to this and me to be absolutely in love with her where I'm not comparing her to other women because I'm not looking to be married to a woman. I was looking to be married to Jenna. I'm not falling in love with my wife, hence title, where anybody else could be eventually in that title. I'm looking to be married to Jenna. I don't want to just be committed to a relationship. I want to be committed to a person. And I would tell you, there's a difference, isn't there, in a marriage. There's an intimate level of difference where I become dedicated to a real person and not to just keeping things together. Compromise is fueled by commitment to a relationship of marriage, and I'm just not committed to my marriage. I'm committed to Jenna. And I want my marriage and my relationship to work. That's not a bad thing. It's just not the thing. So when eyes collide, typically, we leave, we win, we conform. But really, when the eyes collide, we loses. Grammar. We lose, though. The we that we've built together, when it's all about just like either running away or compromising or confronting or coercing or just trying to win the argument. If she could only see my way, then we would be fine. Just truck up my stuff. It's perfect. If you would just see it and value it the same, we'd be on the same team. I just love it that the Bible says that it's two becoming one flesh, this one person. He never said, I want you to be so committed to the document. It is legally binding and notarized. I really, truly want to see more marriages find out what it is to fall in love with the other person. Because here's what happens with my expectations. And here's what happens. There's a thing. There's a, fourth, a, a fifth option here. One, two, three, four. Fifth option. Instead of leaving, winning, and conforming, and compromise. And it's what every happy couple knows. And I will tell you next week. Okay, but here's... <laughs> roping you in. Okay. When we take this kind of stuff, when we dump our desires and our spouses and we expect them to be meet, we expect these to be met, you know, immediately, what that does is that creates something really dangerous, and it creates a debt-and-debtor relationship. In other words, if, if, if I expect it, 
in my opinion, is that if one of these things gets fulfilled correctly, my response just turns into, well, that's what you're supposed to do. That's what the man is supposed to do. That's what the wife is supposed to do. And too often and too frequently, I see people then take letters and awesome scriptures, and then we use that to demean and try to like put each other into a role that was never intended for. And by the way, we're going to get deep into the Word next week um, because I feel like Jesus clearly teaches us how this is supposed to look. And I want to get into there further uh, soon with you, but I wanted to lay this groundwork. The problem with a debt and debtor relationship, maybe, maybe it's that cleaning thing. I just, hey, all I'm asking is that you make the bed every day. I saw a letter, I saw a video on YouTube from a military guy, and he says, if you make your bread every day, you know, your life will be X, Y, and Z. So that's, that's all I expect. Well, here's what happens. If the cleaning does happen, all that's happened <laughs> is an expectation that has been met. That means your expectation is here, and I have simply met them. So no matter if I've made the bed, or I've vacuumed the whole house, or I have swiffered everything that could be swift, all I will ever get to is back to zero. But it will be noticed if it doesn't happen. And now, you are in my debt. How can there be intimacy when you're living an entire marriage lived at zeros? You never gain. You never get above the line. I never get above the line. I'm very creative in the ways in which I want my wife to respond to things. We, uh, we bought an oven from a friend this week. It was used, stainless steel, it's a double oven. Hello, America. Like, I'm very excited about this thing. And I took time out of my day to go and get this oven and try to hook it up. And Jonah took time and was driving with me. And we were getting this oven. And I had this idea in my head that my wife was going to be like, you got me the oven during the day. Thank you so much. Hugs and kisses. And... And then she said, hey, that's great, you did it. Not what I wanted. I wanted a song written about me. Like, I had this idea in my head, and she didn't fulfill it, and I knew I was going to preach this sermon. <laughs> and I said to her, I'm feeling exactly how I'm going to go tell 200 people not to feel. I have an expectation. And then I went to my bedroom and yelled at me. It was a terrible argument. I won and lost. I, I, it was just a thing. Like, I had this idea because here's what happens. If somebody, what, how do you respond, just honestly, rhetorical question, but how, how do you respond to somebody who does what they're supposed to do? How much gratitude do you really have to people that you pay to be there and they do their job? How, how grateful are you? I, I would say minimal. Minimal. We barely express gratitude for people who just meet the standard or check the box. I mean, there, there's a reason that when I pay my mortgage that Quicken Loans doesn't reach out to me and send me a long perfume-laced thank you note and a gift card when I pay my mortgage every month because I'm supposed to pay them. <laughs> I owe them. I owe them. And here's the problem. In a debt-debtor relationship, not only is there no grace, not only is there no intimacy, but I believe that a debt-debtor relationship eliminates the possibility of unconditional love. 
I believe that it eliminates it. I don't mean tarnish it. I mean it has introduced death upon the person that you are so dedicated to. For that person to experience unconditional love. And I will tell you, if you're married today, and if you're, uh, your spouse, when they look at you, you are the only legitimate source of romance and human unconditional love that they're ever going to experience. More than any parent. You're the only source for them. And if there's a debt-debtor relationship, you're already behind. And they are already behind to you. Because when we get what's expected, I will just tell you that owe you eliminates love you. If I just owe you flowers, then I can't give you enough flowers. It's just payment. Owe you, uh, I expect you to, to clean the house, to stay fit, uh, to be on time. I, I expect you to make time for vacation this year. I just feel like you don't make enough time for our family. We have expectations that remove margin necessary for there to be love or to be recognized or appreciated. And that's why expectations undermine intimacy because it, it becomes, marriage becomes more about the pressure to meeting someone's expectations just to get even. You can't even get ahead. So it doesn't even matter how much cleaning that you're doing or how fair that you fight or that one thing that you could have said about their parents, you're acting just like you're, you know what, like... It could have been everything. Maybe, maybe she's just, you know, she's down, he's down, whatever, for everything that happens. Maybe you finally got the house and you put it together and you followed the Chinese instructions. Maybe it's fine. Maybe you have kids and you thought, finally we have kids. I have the chance to be the better father, the better mother than I've ever had. You gave up the car. Oh, my goodness. You, didn't, you don't even have that. and You've got the minivan, but the kids can finally watch that Doc McStuffins. What a blessing. And maybe in the very rare circumstance, because there's never enough money, but maybe you do provide and you just wish that they would be grateful for the food at the table that you do provide. And maybe it just, it's never enough time. Maybe it's never enough vacations. Maybe it's just never enough and they're always talking about the next one. And I was sitting on a cruise, sitting in an office, planning my next cruise. We're never satisfied. I wanted to go to that meeting. That wasn't Jenna forcing me. <laughs> I just don't want that to turn into a thing later. <laughs> and you just get worn out, don't you? Have you just ever f felt like, and if it's not in marriage, it's in your friendships, it's in people that you know, you just know that over and over again, you're unwelcomed, you're unloved, you're just never enough. And then you take your box and you go somewhere else. You swear off marriage. But do you really want to be married? Because I don't want to be married as much as I want Jenna. My desire, then I have to make a decision, is when this becomes expectations, I am now saying to my wife, this is what you owe me. And it's just not going to hold. Sure, you can stay married. But don't you want something more fulfilling? Isn't there something so much better out there?
No, nothing I do satisfies him. It's just, it's never enough. Ah, every, if I say one thing that I didn't say the other thing that I was supposed to say, it doesn't even matter. And, and here's, here's the long and short. Are you supposed to just ignore this? Your hopes, dreams, and desires? Are you just supposed to just throw that away? I, I don't think so. I, but I also don't think that we're supposed to live a life that's just constantly about meeting somebody else's expectations because meeting expectations don't sound anything like just loving somebody and fully accepting them. Ladies, I know I'd maybe you expect him to spend time with the kids when he does. It's just not quite enough time or he seems distracted or she seems distracted and we would love to blame cell phones. I'm sure we would love to blame that. But I just don't think it's a technology issue. I think it's a heart issue. So what should we do with our hopes, dreams, and desires? Number one, I would say, you keep them in your box and you don't put them on him or her. The short answer is really a question more than an answer. And it's one of your takeaway questions uh, today is what do they owe you? And here's the deal. You, you need to really decide and dig deep that's why I'm going to tell you something that most pastors will not tell you on Sunday mornings. Do not talk to your spouse about the sermon today. Because I know, like, some of you are like, man, I really want to talk about this. This has opened up so many things. I'm realizing things. You, maybe you wanted to repent of some things, and, and that's great. And you're like, oh, we're going to take the long way home today. Like, we are not hitting the drive through but, you know, the Taco Bell nacho fries are back. I know it's an exciting time in our lives, Okay. But the real question that I have for you is, what's inside your box? Because what's inside your box is usually what we think the other person owes us. I want you to really go through and do some self-inventory. What are those hopes and those dreams and those desires? And to really do the work, because I will tell you that most people won't. This is why this is a rare thing within, within Christianity, because there's this verse in Ephesians 5-2 that I think, Paul uses to kind of tease out what we're going to talk about next week. It says this, that we are to walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and he gave himself up for us. Because the real answer in what every happy couple knows as far as what does the other person owe you, the answer is nothing. It's nothing. Happy Christians Happy Christian couples, they take their cues from Jesus. One all-encompassing command. He, first, he does it this way, and we love to quote this one, but it's funny because he says it twice, and he kind of clarifies himself. The first time he's asked, they ask, well, Jesus, if you were to sum up all of the laws, how would you sum them up? And we call this the golden rule, to treat others as you would be treated. That's the, the golden rule. That's the golden rule. The thing is, is that Jesus was summing up what we refer to as the old Testament. Jesus is bringing in a new way and later on gives us something that I would refer to as the platinum rule. It's better than gold. And he says it this way, as I have loved you, you are to love one another. As I have loved you. What did Jesus ultimately owe us? And the answer is nothing. True, unconditional love is not a race to be fulfilled, but it's actually a submission competition. 
it's racing to the back of the line. No, you go first. No, you go first. No, you go first. And finding a deeper love and satisfaction, a deeper love and satisfaction that I believe is actually fueled by God. A race to the back of the line, which I understand sounds miserable. Which is why so few try it. But those who do, enjoy it. Because they have found something so much better than a marriage. And so much better than what I believe that Jenna and I work towards. We are not a perfect couple. She is half Italian, I'm half redneck. We know how to fight. (laughs) But wouldn't it be beautiful that at the end of the day, I mean, we had our marriage, uh, our marriage, our lives, her life rocked when I thought I was going to lose her. And I I was sitting there, and I was watching her recover, and I, I believe this is one of the many gifts of watching her almost die this spring, uh, is I realized that more than anything, I want Jenna. There is no other woman, body type, satisfaction that I could possibly want. There is no dream fulfilled. Just give me Jesus close to my heart, and let me love Jenna well. So next week, well, we're going to pick it up. What is in your hopes, dreams, and desires? And are you expecting someone else to carry it around? May you understand what it is to be fully accepted because that is what you're supposed to do. Let me pray. God, you, uh, you are the only one who can fully talk me out of all my stubborn ways. And I know that my hopes, dreams, and desires... Um, probably need a U-Haul truck and not an Amazon box. And I repent for placing this on who is more than my best friend. God, I want to place all my hopes, dreams, and desires on you, and I want you to change them. But will you help us all, God, in this room to do some inventory? So many of us God, I I feel like I had a list of things of who I wanted in a wife and I never thought about who I wanted to be in a husband. And Holy Spirit, we just invite you to kind of root around. Show us some things. Help us to be careful and tender with each other where there are relationships in this room where intimacy has been destroyed or perhaps there has been so deep a betrayal that There is no marriage, there is no person anymore, and they're holding the tattered remains of their hopes, dreams, and desires that they entrusted to somebody else's hands and they destroyed them. Would you bring hope? Where we too often live in a world where we think that we know how the other person should live, we think we know, look, he's getting better, look, she's getting better. We have created this weird debtor relationship where even doing what they've been begging us to do only gets us back to zero. Christ Jesus, would you put us ahead? Because you're the author and sustainer of all things. Uh, May people stop just trying to sustain marriages and may we start loving each other unconditionally. We trust you. And we ask you, Holy Spirit, for that level of intimacy where there are folks where in this room who are married and I mentioned the word sex they there's just something so broken there it's difficult there there's 
a lack of connection. There's no joy there. It's, there's folks in this room who have just been used before. And oh, Holy Spirit, I ask you that you speak immediately into their hearts of how you see them, perceive them, love them. You bring healing and restoration there. For those who, when I brought out the idea of babies and they've been struggling to have kids, I'm thinking about, statistically speaking, that there are people in this room who have experienced miscarriage and they're just dreaming and hoping that it'll happen. I just ask you, Holy Spirit, that you be their dad and be close right now. For the idea of time, God, for the folks who are watching on Facebook right now, and uh, I just I just ask you, Lord, that you, uh, you get in the way of shame. Because what I believe about shame is that shame just tries to shut down our life. But if there's conviction that you've addressed something in us, that we know the conviction just means you're trying to redirect us back to you. So may you bring us closer to each other. May we love each other better. And may we stop keeping score. And may we stop asking other people to carry us. Our hopes, our dreams, our desires. May the eyes not collide anymore. It's in your name we pray. Amen. There's hope. I promise you. I promise you there's hope. But it doesn't come from getting fixed. It comes from being healed. And it's different.